This is the word of the Lord from Mark 4, verses 30 through 34. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can rest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Thank you, Bonnie. Bonnie, I'm really glad that you read the scripture right now as a buffer between Mark and myself, because that's a tough act to follow right there. So, you know, uh, if you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to have you. And as a church, our mission is very simple. It's to raise up wholehearted followers of Jesus. And uh, I loved hearing that update of the stories of what God is doing in our senior discipleship ministry. Uh, And I think about the babies downstairs. I've had people talk about like holding the babies in the nursery and just praying over them, even though they can't really understand the concepts that we're talking about yet. There's ministry taking place from the youngest to the oldest in our church. And I thank God for that. That's amazing, right? Uh, I thank God for the opportunity to get to teach today. We are in a teaching series called Stories of the Kingdom, in which we are looking at the parables that Jesus told. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I did kind of an overview, and, and just very simply to put this, Jesus told all these stories to help us imagine what it looks like to live as part of the kingdom of God. We, we kind of tangibly live as citizens of the state of Washington or citizens of the United States of America, but if we are Christians, if we have been by God's grace saved, then we first and foremost are citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen? And so these imaginative stories are meant to help us see how every aspect of our lives, how every part of our lives are meant to be lived under the Lord's wise and loving rule. And you know what? We actually have an active parable today in our church parking lot to help us envision what it looks like when there is no king in charge and there are no lions in the parking lot. And it's like the time of the judges and everyone just does what's right in their own eyes. Uh, really grateful for, for John, Pastor John, for Val working to help get the parking lot resurfaced. They did a great job. And then the winds came and the rains blew and they weren't able to paint the stripes before we gathered this week. So if you see somebody out there who has parked very poorly, just remember they were just responding to the person who parked out there before them, okay? So just let's practice some grace with each other. All right, today we are going to dive into the first actual parable, and I'm calling this one the one about a tiny seed growing into a huge tree. If you're looking in your Bible, you're going to see some heading that's just something really boring like the mustard seed. And a little behind-the-scenes information, whenever I put together the teaching series, kind of the overview and the outline, it's a document that pretty much only the elder team sees, and we use it to kind of plan out our preaching series. And I often will do creative, joking sort of titles, because we'll give the sermons titles when we get to them. But for this series, the plan book, I put together every single one of the sermons has a Friends episode-style title. And Pastor Steve emailed back and said, if we don't do those as the actual sermon titles, I'm going to quit the elder team. So, all right, sounds good. So the one about a tiny seed growing into a huge tree. Uh, Let's go one more time in prayer before our Lord right now as we prepare to open our hearts to his word. God, we thank you for these stories that you told. Lord Jesus, thank you that though you spoke these words so many centuries ago, we can still open the pages of the scriptures and, and, and Holy Spirit, you bring these words to life in our hearts and our minds. 
So I pray for myself. I pray that you'd help me to teach only that which is in line with the truth of your word. And Lord, would you awaken our hearts and minds and our imaginations right now? Lord, with so much noise in our society, with so many things trying to grab our attention, Lord, we simply want to have this time to have our imaginations stirred and our hearts awakened by the good news of the kingdom of God. We pray all this in the name of our forever King, Jesus. Amen. So we, my wife and I, have lived in our current house for uh, coming up on nine years here this summer. And ever since we first moved in, there was this tree that I hated. Uh, It's my nemesis tree. Uh, I spoke about it ill. I know you're supposed to speak nice to plants. I didn't speak nice to this plant. I spoke meanly to this plant. Well, in 2020, after, you know, kind of the full lockdowns had subsided and we were able to start gathering for worship out here in the back lawn. How many of you guys participated in any of those outdoor worship gatherings back in 2020? We kind of had a rhythm going. We had a routine going and I'd been working super hard and the elder team was gracious to give me uh, four Sundays off. I took a month off from work in August and, um, It was in that August, I don't know, maybe I was just feeling like the need to do something crazy after several months of lockdown. I looked at that tree and I said, you tree are coming down this August. And so right around that same time, my neighbors had had some arborists come out and they were taking down some trees. I think that was probably what part of my inspiration was. So they were taking down some trees and I went over and I snagged the arborist. I said, hey, can you give me a quote how much it would cost to take down this one tree? And their quote was, $1 billion. Like, it is so expensive to have a tree taken down. You guys know this? And so, with my month off, I sat on my back porch, and I poured a cup of coffee, and I watched what the arborists were doing. And I thought to myself, arrogantly, I could do that. And against my better judgment and my wife's pleading, I went down to Aurora Rents. I rented a 50-foot cherry picker, boom lift. I borrowed my neighbor Ron's chainsaw and I did what the arborist did. And hey, the ending of the story is I'm still here and alive, okay? And the tree is gone and it's dead and I survived and I didn't crush the dog. I, didn't, I did break one chunk of fence on accident, but that was fine. I had to repair that anyway. So it was all good. It all worked out. And about two months ago or whenever it was when we had those windstorms that knocked all the power out, I lit a fire in the fireplace and I burned my nemesis tree. The firewood is still there two years later. It's this amazing benefit and I'm sitting there thanking God for this tree. Now, in the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, there's a lot of imagery around trees. In fact, um, the, the organization, The Bible Project, that does those really neat animated videos, they have a video called The Tree of Life, but they actually have a series of podcasts where they just explore all the biblical imagery around trees. If you like that kind of thing, I highly uh, recommend it. encourage you to check it out. <clears throat> but just simply to think about the Bible, the imagery about trees, uh, right at the very beginning, right at the beginning in the book of Genesis, there's trees showing up. And we see that trees can be symbolic for, obviously, can be symbolic for life. One of the trees in the garden, right at the beginning, it's it's the tree of, it's not a trick question, it's the tree of life, right? Or you think about how, you know, trees provide uh, food, or trees provide wood to build a shelter, or they provide shade from the heat. You think about Noah sending out the bird that comes back with a little branch that lets them know that, hey, the, the floodwaters are reciting and there's now life, But paradoxically, trees can also be a symbol for death. 
In the garden, in addition to the tree of life, there is the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong. And God says, on the day that you eat from that tree, you will surely what? Die. Die. You think about how so much idolatry, you know, the prophets would speak against the idolatry of the people of Israel. They would talk about how, you know, they've taken the wood from the trees and have fashioned it into an idol. And the idol is a lifeless, dead thing. Excuse me, or that the, the, the pagan worship practices would take place underneath a tree. Or even think about, like in Deuteronomy, where it says, cursed is someone who hangs on a tree. Tree is a symbol for death. But also in the Bible, a tree is a symbol for authority and rulership. Trees have this kind of imagery, this this analogy to like a kingdom. And maybe one of the most well-known examples of that is Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, he has this dream about a giant tree, and then the, the, the watchers, the holy ones, come and they chop it down. And Daniel, uh, under the miraculous inspiration of the Spirit, is able to um, uh, interpret that dream. And he tells him, hey, uh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, it means that your kingdom is going to be taken away from you, and the Most High God will prove that he is the ruler over all human kingdoms. So, imagine that you're there on the beach, and Jesus is in a boat, and, and you're a, a good, you know, young Jewish boy, a young Jewish girl, maybe a, maybe a preteen, and you've, you've been raised with all these stories. You know the story of the trees in the garden. You know the story of, of the tree uh, of um, the Noah, the branch that was brought back to Noah. And you know the story of the Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And you know the story of Abraham worshiping the Lord and meeting with him underneath a tree. You've got all these stories floating through your mind. And then Jesus is there teaching, and you're listening to him. He's a really good, compelling speaker. And then Jesus said, what can we compare the kingdom of God with? Or what sort of parable can I use to describe it? And Jesus goes, I got it. It's like a, it's like a little mustard seed that when sown upon the soil, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the other garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. <clears throat> and then Mark narrates and he tells us, now Jesus was, was speaking the word to them with so many parables like these, as they were able to understand. In fact, Jesus did not speak to them without a parable. Just remember that whenever you're reading the Sermon on the Mount or whenever you're reading any of the longer preaching discourses, just remember, Jesus was interspersing all of that with stories, parables. Privately, however, he would explain everything to his own disciples. And then Mark proceeds to not explain this parable to us, okay? Thanks a lot, Mark. But I think that Mark is, you know, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he's doing the same thing that Jesus was doing. He's telling these stories to kind of get our attention and to make us lean in a little bit. And there's some, what, what is going on here? What's this parable like? And we could start to discuss it. We could start to, you know, debate it. And, and we could start to kick around. What does this parable mean? Now, I want to address two kind of questions that come up related to this parable before I share what I believe is the, 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 the main point of this parable. Um, there are two questions I want to address. The first one uh, is actually a newer question. I'd never thought of, I'd never heard of this, but in one of the commentaries I was reading, uh, it was said that this is actually a, a somewhat common interpretation, but the question is basically this. 
is this parable about the spread of evil? The idea being, you know, the, the, the seed comes and it's, it's growing and all these birds show up. And so we have to be on guard because evil will spread. And so we have to stand guard against evil. Now, here's the reasoning behind that. That was new to me. I'd never heard that before. But the reasoning is that this parable features birds. And if you remember the parable of the farmer that sows the seeds on the ground, in that parable, the birds are bad guys. They're representative of the forces of evil who come and steal away the word of God. So if birds are bad in that parable, then birds must also be bad in this parable. Also, I've shared with you my not parable, my real story of being attacked by a crow in my backyard. So yes, birds are bad. I do not like them. The other thing that they say is that in Matthew's gospel, this parable of the mustard seed is linked immediately with the parable of the yeast, the woman mixing the yeast in the dough and it spreads. And they say, well, yeast is a symbol in the Bible often for evil. So therefore, by virtue of proximity, this one must be a symbol of evil as well. Now, I disagree with that interpretation. I'll tell you why. Number one, leaven, yeast, Yes, is a biblical picture sometimes for evil, but not always. You know that in the Passover, the the Jewish people would cleanse their house of all yeast, and it's a sign for cleansing anything impure or unclean or unholy. But did you know that there are certain sacrifices that are commanded to be brought before the Lord where you are supposed to actually bring leavened bread? Now, what book of the Bible might it have been where we were instructed to bring leavened bread, where the people of God were instructed to bring leavened bread as a fellowship offering? What book of the Bible do you think that was in? Leviticus, good. I keep threatening you. If you don't get the answer right, we will go back and redo the Leviticus sermon series. Okay. The bread is brought to the Lord. It's fluffy. It's delicious. Why? Because bread is amazing. So sometimes yeast is is a picture of sin, but other times it's not. It's actually a symbol of a blessing. Number two, I really don't think that this parable is about the spread of eagles because Jesus is actually using language from the prophet Ezekiel here. Jesus is borrowing from a parable that might be my new favorite parable in the Old Testament because I spent some time studying it this week. It's called the parable of the two eagles. And I'll spare, I want to teach this parable. I'm not going to teach that other parable, but just in brief, the prophet Ezekiel was ministering during a time in Israel's history when they were taken into exile. They had been sinful, and they were removed from their home by the king of Babylon. And the king, at the time, decided to reach out to the king of Egypt to see if Egypt would help Israel not get taken away by Babylon. And Ezekiel tells a parable. It's literally like a foreign policy parable. As exciting as it sounds, it's even better than that. Go read it this week. It's fun. But he basically tells this parable saying, don't ask one eagle to help you from the other eagle. It's going to turn out terrible for you. But then Ezekiel begins to prophesy and speak about a day when though God had brought his judgment on his people, he would once again restore them. So this is how the parable of the eagle concludes, starting in verse 22. Ezekiel says, this is what the Lord God says. I will take a little tiny sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I will plant it. I'll pluck just a a tender little branch from its topmost shoots, and I will plant it on a high towering mountain. I will plant it on Israel's high mountain so that it may bear branches, produce fruit, and become a majestic cedar. And birds of every kind will nest under it. 
taking shelter in the shade of its branches. And then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the tall or the proud tree, and I make the low tree tall. I cause the green tree to wither, and I make the withered tree thrive. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Can you not see how Ezekiel's parable is this promise of blessing that though Israel's fortunes had been broken and their hopes had been dashed, the Lord himself will do a work of redemption. He will replant his people, Israel, and through that replanting, birds from all over the world are going to come and nest in its shade. It's a promise of the gospel. And Jesus, I believe, is borrowing from this Ezekiel sort of language to say that's what the kingdom of God is like. Now, a second question that is sometimes raised, and this one comes from, well, nerds, uh, and, and it's the question, did Jesus get mustard seeds and trees wrong? Because, scientifically speaking, Mustard seeds are not the smallest seeds that there are. And scientifically speaking, mustard trees only grow, they're like a big shrub. They grow to be about 10, 12 feet tall. They kind of sprawl out a little bit. And so there are some who say, hmm, well, Jesus couldn't get seeds right. How can we trust him with the salvation of our souls? To which I say, phooey. Uh, listen, it's really important to remember when we read the Bible, that we're the weird ones, okay? We are living in a post-enlightenment, post-age of reason, post-age of science, uh, sort of a, a time frame. And it is completely unfair to import our own modern mindset upon the word, that the scriptures when we read them. It is much better for us to try to, uh, try to learn how to inhabit the world that they were living in. And a scholar named Craig Blomberg says the mustard seed is the tiniest, most common seed that most farming sort of people would have had to deal with. And by the way, when Jesus is talking about this mustard plant growing and being this huge, huge thing, he is speaking hyperbolically. The point of the parable is for him to say, could you even imagine something so tiny becoming so huge and awesome that all these birds want to come and make their nest in it? Jesus is intentionally exaggerating and let's not be well, nerds in a bad way, okay? So interpreting the parable, what is it that Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that this kingdom movement that he came to preach has unimpressive origins. If you were to look at Jesus' first group of followers, nobody is impressed by them. The Bible goes out of its way to make sure that we know that this is a ragtag bunch of losers who even themselves often don't get it when Jesus is trying to teach them about the kingdom of God. You've got a tax collector, you've got a fisherman, you've got a zealot, you've got this whole ragtag group of things, and Jesus is saying, yeah, I know it doesn't look very impressive right now, but God's glory will be on display eventually. This kingdom is going to grow and God's glory will be seen eventually and God will be in charge of all things through the Messiah. And Jesus is saying in this parable that in this kingdom that is growing, there is room for everyone. That birds, and I don't mean that in like the Paul McCartney sort of way, I mean like, like birds, like in the biblical sort of way, that, that we, you, I, people from all the far-flung corners of the globe are invited in to join the Jewish Messiah in his kingdom. 
People from far-flung places like Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, like Linwood, Washington, we are invited in to this tree. That's what Jesus is saying. Is that good news to anyone here? Now, I do think that there is a fourth element to this parable, and it is more implicit than it is explicit, and it is the one that I would like to focus on for the remainder of our time. Jesus says, this kingdom, it's got unimpressive origins. Eventually, the glory of God will be on display. There's room for everyone, but Jesus is saying, wait and see. And this is the part that I think is particularly difficult for us 21st century Americans. I don't think that I am being hyperbolic when I say we are probably the least patient society in the history of the world. And if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. You and I are not patient. See, what was going on in this time of the world when Jesus was teaching, uh, they, they had some impatience as well. I mean, human beings are always impatient. They were saying things like, well, when is this kingdom going to happen? When are you going to inaugurate the kingdom? When is this going to be? And Jesus had to do a lot of myth-busting because they were expecting a political revolution. They wanted it now. They wanted Rome kicked out. And Jesus is trying to tell them these stories. Like, oh, yeah, it's going to be more like a farmer planting a, a seed. Well, these agricultural people knew that seeds take a while to turn into trees. Maybe some of you garden. Maybe some of you have, you know, vegetables or a greenhouse or a flower garden. Maybe some of you even, even planted a tree in your yard. But do you know what almost all of us have? Amazon Prime. <sighs> Last year, in a fit of anarchist rebellion, my wife and I canceled our Amazon Prime accounts. Yeah. Take that, Jeff. Every year got more and more expensive. And actually, part of this was, like, my wife was trying to save money. I was trying to do work on our souls. You, you can evaluate the relative godliness in our house. I'm just teasing. But I really was like, okay, I just am so used to opening up an app and just, eh, tomorrow? Ugh. So we canceled our Amazon. We still order things from Amazon. Ah, oh, Jeff. And we still order things. But you know what the problem is now? It takes like eight days for things to get here. And it's like dying every day. Just death. It's horrible. I, I want it. Okay, in the month, listen, I'm sorry. Just, Jesus told stories. I'm telling stories. In, in the month of December, I'm not allowed to buy anything because Christmas is coming. And I might just buy the thing for myself. You know, like a grown adult man might do. Just buy the thing that I need. I really needed a knife sharpener. Our knives were dull. I couldn't even cut a tomato. I was really frustrated. But no, I can't buy a knife sharpener. I didn't ask for a knife sharpener for Christmas, but I still couldn't buy one because then I might get the thing that she got for me for Christmas. So then the day after Christmas comes like, okay, I didn't get a knife sharpener. Not surprised. I bought my, I ordered a knife sharpener on Amazon and it took until the next year to arrive and I was dying, Okay. <laughs> Anybody with me on your own impatience? Come on. Okay, one more story. I'll say this part quieter because it involves the church neighbor out that corner. So my, my last year, I was on sabbatical. While I was on sabbatical, the neighbors over there 
just took down a ton of their trees. I think they were just trying to open up their yard, get more sunlight in, whatever. Big trees. And they just don't. And it came back and looking out, it's my window. It's like my office window that looks right over their yard. And it was just like ugly sticks. So gross. So ugly. This week, it's been like a year and a half now. This week, as I was prepping this sermon, I looked out my window and I thought, oh, those ugly sticks have like got branches and leaves and stuff on them. When did that happen? Who knew? Trees grow. It's amazing. But they do so slowly. And in this parable, the patience of the kingdom of God is on full display. Think about God's patience in sending Jesus the first time. The apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter four that when the time had come to completion, God sent his son. How many saints of old, how many prophets of old cried out, how long, O Lord, when will the Messiah come? And all the while, God is planting seeds and he's putting up signposts. He's having Abraham go to offer his one and only beloved son. He's having the Levitical sacrifices uh, set in place to point us towards the need for a day of atonement sacrifice. He's he's having Jonah be in the belly of the, the sea monster and on the third day be resurrected out. He's having all of these things, all of these breadcrumbs, all of these signposts pointing us to the day when Jesus arrived. And how many of you know God was incredibly patient as he planted those seeds of the kingdom? And then when Jesus arrives... The miraculous virgin birth from all those women in the past whose womb was dead and God miraculously brought their womb to life. And when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and we see that, oh, the day of atonement was pointing us to this. And when Jesus rises from the dead on the third day, oh, Jonah was pointing to this. And all of those things were pointing us to Jesus and God was so patient to lay it all out. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, he told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And for the last 2,000 years, this gospel message has been growing and spreading to literally every part of our globe. And God is very patient in that. And right now, God is very patient in sending Jesus the second time to fully consummate the kingdom. I don't know if it's just the the challenges of these last few years or maybe just getting older and just seeing the world. I find myself praying, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus, more than I ever have before. I want Jesus to return. I want to see the sky crack open. I want to see his kingdom come and his will be done fully here on earth as it is in heaven. But Peter reminds us that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And God is not delaying. He's not being slow. The Lord does not delay his promises. Some understand delay, Peter says, but he is being what? Patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The good news of the kingdom is marked by God's incredible patience. How many of you are thankful for that? It's like a little seed. It just takes time to grow. And God is so patient. So each week, we're going to ask this question 
with each of these parables, it's going to be basically the same, some version of the same question every week. How, how does this parable help me imagine living life in the kingdom of God? And so the last few minutes that I have, I want to just stir the imagination a little bit. Okay, God's patient. His kingdom is patient. What does that look like in my life? Four things. Number one, Christ is patient for us when we are sinfully impatient. Um, in Jesus' earthly life and ministry, he displayed incredible patience, did he not? I mean, just with Peter alone. And now Peter's the one who's right about how patient Jesus is, right? He's like, I know it firsthand because I really drove him nuts. Jesus lived a life of perfect patience. And when you and I repent of our sins and trust in Christ's death and resurrection, we are united with Christ. And what is true of Jesus is now true of you positionally. So when you sin with impatience, God looks at you as though you were as patient as Jesus Christ himself because you have been united by faith to Jesus. Is that good news for you? When you repent of your sins, when you trust in Jesus, what's true of him is true of you. And by the way, we are all impatient differently, are we not? My wife and I were talking about this the other day. I am impatient with things. Inanimate objects can send me into an impatient rage. But I tend to be more, I think I have permission to share this. I, okay, good. Uh, I tend to be more patient with people. She is very patient with things and tends to be less patient with people. Um, when I go to the grocery store, every single time the Lord uses it as an opportunity to grow me in patience. Because I have, I have scientific, I have a private detective follow me around and document it that the line I get in instantly stops and every other line is moving. It's ridiculous. And when she goes to the line and it stops, she goes, oh, well, well, I guess this is just what life is like. And I'm like, it shouldn't be, right? We're all impatient differently. Your impatience is different than my impatience, but none of us can measure up to the patience of Christ, which is why the gift of his, like, like an alien to us patience is such good news. It's outside of us. It's a gift. So when you're impatient, you can take heart that your heavenly father still looks at you with affection. Because what's true of Christ is now true of you. And that's positionally true. The practical on the ground is we still stumble and falter all the way. And the good news is that Christ, Christ is patient with us while we stumble and grow. How many of you can agree with some, some version of the statement that like, man, I should be more mature. I should be more patient at this point in my Christian walk. Any of you? Okay. Welcome to the club. And when you stumble, when you falter, the hand of the Lord is patient with you. God is far more patient with us in our sanctification process than we are with ourselves and frankly than we are often with others, okay? Christ is, number three, Christ is patient through us while we disciple and evangelize. You know, I said at the beginning that our mission as a church is to help people grow, to raise people up as wholehearted followers of Jesus. And how many of you know, even in your own discipleship or in the discipleship of others, sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. 
Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, one step forward, one step back. And you're like, where even are we on this pathway anymore, right? But you have a part to play in the Christ-likeness of everyone else sitting in this room. Here in this church, when you go to your group, when you go to your house, if you have a family, if you have roommates, you have other followers of Jesus, you have a part to play in helping them grow to be more like Jesus. And while you might not have as much patience with them, come on, don't you get it already? Jesus is being patient through you. Think about evangelism. Think about sharing the gospel, the same person over and over and over again, planting those seeds, planting those seeds, planting those seeds, waiting to see for the day when that person will finally break through and see. I have the joy of having my mom sitting here and she preached the gospel to my grandma, her mom, for 35 years. And at the end of her life, she said, you are right, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. And the last six months of her life, Mom got to read the Bible to her every single day and pray with her. And she would say, pray for me. I I, want to heal. I want to get better of this cancer, but I'm ready to go see Jesus. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let Christ be patient through you while you disciple others and while you share the gospel with those who in our flesh, like there ain't no way they're ever going to believe. Jesus said birds from everywhere are going to come flock in this tree. Don't give up. And lastly, okay, Christ is patient in us while we await his return. I long for the day when there's no more sorrow, long for the day when there's no more Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and cancer. I long for the day when there's no more racism and sexism and corrupt governments. I long for the day when Christ rules and reigns in his perfect kingdom. I really long for that day. But we await that day with patience. Jesus will return when the time is right. And until that day, we live kingdom lives by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I confess And I invite anyone to confess along with, we are just not very patient people. So much of our society is built around speed and efficiency and instant gratification and microwave this and streaming this. And Lord, we don't really understand little seeds growing into big trees. It's kind of foreign to our culture. So we repent, Lord. And now as we prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would even use this meal in a supernatural and miraculous way to to nourish us towards patience. You would minister your grace to us that we would be maybe just a little bit more patient than we were when we walked in. And Lord, help us most of all at this table meal to celebrate Christ's perfect patience on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.